All right, I want to encourage you this morning. First of all, get your Bibles out, 2 Samuel chapter 6. But I want to encourage, especially the men, with the challenge of making room for the ark of God's presence. Making room for the ark of God's presence. Um, Here's the truth, men, especially speaking to fathers. God holds us responsible for the leadership of our home. Can I get an amen? Now, that that would be contested in today's culture. Uh, by people who are not lovers of God and who are ignorant of the Word of God or woke churches, but we're not one of those. God holds fathers responsible for the well-being of their families. We want to love our families, we want to serve our families, and we want to lead our families well. All the married men say amen. Amen. Come on, I'm counting on you guys. you you got to help me out this morning. How many of you know that's a big responsibility? It's not a responsibility where we walk around pulling up our britches and say, I'm wearing the pants around this household. You just listen to me. When you understand that God is holding you literally responsible for how you care for your spouse, how you care for your children, this should cause us to tremble. Like being told that you're leading your family and God's going to hold you responsible for that should cause us to hit the ground beyond our faces and praying and, and asking God to help us and being very humble, not arrogant, prideful. There's nothing about that at all. And as we're going to see from the message today, those who master the art of hosting the Holy Spirit in our homes, and this is the man's responsibility, hosting the Holy Spirit in our homes, will experience the supernatural blessing of God and leave a lasting legacy. How many of you would like to see the supernatural provision of God on your household and blessing of God? And how many of you would like to make sure it doesn't stop after you? You want to send a lasting legacy to the next generation and the next generation. So we're going to talk about that today in our series on hosting the Holy Spirit. And I want to begin in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 9. It says, David was now afraid of the Lord. And he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. Now, we're introduced to two very important fathers in the Bible. One of them is a household name. How many of you heard of David before? But if we took a survey on the street, if I said, how many of you know Obed-Edom? he would probably be a little bit lesser known, all right? Obed-Edom, we don't hear that much about him. He's not in the Bible that much, but he is a significant man of God and a significant father in the Scripture, and I think he's a role model for us to look at on this Father's Day. Um, Let's back up, though. Why is David afraid? Why is he worried that the Ark of the Covenant is not going to be in his care, and why did he take the Ark to Obed-Edom's house Uh, These are all some really, really good questions. So let's go all the way back, and let's take a look at Moses. How many know the ark started in God's heart? It was a piece of furniture in the mind of God that would house the place where God would literally speak to his people, where God would interact, where his manifest presence would show up over that ark. It had to be built to specifications. There were specific protocols. For instance, if you look at Exodus chapter 25, verse 22, God says, I will meet you there and talk to you from above the ark, or above, I'm sorry, the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the ark of the covenant. So this is important. It's not just a piece of furniture, but it's a piece of furniture that's been created. It has a gold top on it where the sacrifices were laid. It was the, it was the mercy seat. It was the place of atonement for sin, and it was a picture, obviously, of Jesus Christ. And God's manifest glory would meet over the ark, the cherubim, the golden cherubim would have their wings out like this, both sides, 
bowing in holiness before what took place on the top of that piece of furniture. How many of you know it wasn't the furniture that made it holy, it was God that made it holy. It was his presence that made it holy. And God even said, I want you to put um, poles in on both sides and never ever take the poles out. He said this for a reason because it had to do with the protocol for carrying the presence of God. Now let me just pause right here. How many of you know every story, every historical account found in the Old Covenant, the New Testament tells us was written for our examples? So when you read the Old Covenant, understand that there are things God wants us to learn and understand that are important for us today. And, and some people have, a, have a, a negative view of the Old Testament as if the New Testament is somehow superior and the Old Testament doesn't speak to us. You know, Paul said what happened before was written as an example so that you, number one, don't repeat the mistakes and number two, learn from the examples that are given to us because we've moved into the new covenant, and the new covenant is superior in terms of its blessing. So let me just tell you this. Whatever you see that was good under the old covenant, what we have in the new covenant is better. Everybody say better. You should actually smile when you say better, because better is a happy word. What we get in the new covenant, this side of Calvary, is better than what they experienced on their best day under the old covenant. This is good news. So I want you to see something. When it came to the time of Samuel as the prophet and Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, Israel was in a state of incredible backsliding. And Samuel was taken uh, on account by the Lord and challenged because he was not fathering his kids well because his kids who were priests, I'm going to put it in modern day, day uh, vernacular, his kids who were pastors and serving in the church were perverts. They were involved in all kinds of sexual sin. They had no value or honor of the presence of the Lord. They viewed their job as just a job. It was not a calling. And, Sam, and Eli's problem was he did nothing as a father to restrain his children. And y'all knew what was happening. Israel was getting their brains beat out, fighting the Philistines. And then some of the elders who uh, were backslidden elders as well had this great idea. And let's talk about it. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 3. After the battle was over, the troops retreated to their camp, and the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? How many know that's a really good question? Because another, you see different names for the Ark of the Covenant, but one of them is the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Heaven's armies. How I many you know God is a one-man wrecking machine? God doesn't need an army. He is the army. The army just comes behind God and cleans up all the spoils. So when Israel is losing, it's because the army is not showing up, not the physical army, but God's army, God himself. And how I many you know we have two-thirds of the angels in heaven that are, are the part of the Lord's heavenly army? So let me just say this, God is well equipped to win whatever battle he wants to fight. How many of you know you want God on your side? And this is why our founders said things like, you know what, we don't care which side, you know, it's the Lord on this side, Lord on this side. I want to want the Lord, to, I want to be on the Lord's side is what they said. I want to make sure I'm with him because when I'm with him, we win. When we're not with him, we lose. This is why losing, listen to me, losing should be very, very strange to God's people. Like, what is that? The church is a winning dynasty. When the church follows the presence, we win. When the church is selfish, carnal, uh, complacent, uh, compromised, we lose. So when we're losing, something's the matter, and it's not on God's side, it's on our side. Does that make sense? 
Because we're winners. Tell your neighbor they're a winner. Tell them this morning. Encourage them. You're a winner. Why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? And here's the problem. Listen. Then they said, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. If we carry it, everybody say it. If we carry it into battle with us, it will save us from our enemies. This is exactly what I've been preaching against, and we're guilty of it as a New Testament church as well. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God, is not in it. God is not a piece of furniture. God is not a building. God is not a ritual. God is in none of those things. God is a person. He's a spirit. And as soon, listen, as soon as we treat him like a piece of furniture, we don't honor him. So they're like, let's bring it into battle. And they carry God in a box out to battle, and they're like a magical charm. God is nowhere by his furniture at that point. Because it's not the furniture, it's what the furniture represents. And they could care less about the presence of God. They're just tired of losing. Can I just tell you something? It's time when the church elevated our understanding of what it means to be a believer, lifted above just trying not to lose, and lifted to the place where you're hungry to be a carrier of the presence of God. And if God doesn't show up, we're not satisfied. If the presence of the Lord is not involved in our lives, we're not satisfied. It's not about just punching the time clock, showing up at church. Did you bring the presence with you? And did Jesus show up in the midst of his people as we worshiped him? Did his manifest presence show up? Otherwise, we're just ritualistic. We're just lucky charms in the church. You have people that do all kinds of religious things that they think somehow is going to bring the blessing of God. The blessing of God comes from God comes from who he is but here's the problem they're using God as a lucky charm and God was going to have none of it and so what happens God allows himself to be captured now think about this for a minute have you ever heard that, that expression catching a lion by the table a tail or a tiger by the tail uh, like what happens when you actually get him that lion turns around or that tiger turns around and then you're in big trouble Let me ask you this question. What good is it when the enemy captures God? What are you going to do with him? Is there a cage big enough to put him in? How are you going to keep him down? How are you going to keep him disinterested? How are you going to distract God? Because you just caught God, and now what are you going to do with God? And this is some of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. First of all, it says that when Eli heard the news that his sons were killed, He had a heart attack, and he also heard that the ark was captured. He had a heart attack and died, and his daughter-in-law was giving birth to a son. She named the son Ichabod, which means the glory of the Lord has departed. This was a low, low mark in all of Israel's history. So God allows the ark to be captured, and I want you to see what happens next. They bring the ark of the covenant into the presence of their Philistine god. So here's Dagon standing up, standing up this wooden stone statue, idol, demonic idol, and they bring the Ark of the Covenant and they set it in front of Dagon as if Dagon is towering over the god, all right? In other words, that's the captured deity. Dagon's the real deity. What happens the next morning when they come in to worship? What, what happened to Dagon? He's on his face worshiping. 
The Bible says the stones are going to cry out if we don't cry out. Dagon, this demon idol, is laying on his face. And so the priests are kind of embarrassed. They call some of the brothers in. Hey, guys, can you help us get God back up? He's had a a little fall here. We We have to lift God back up. They finally get God back up where he's supposed to be. And then what happens the next day? God's back down. Not our God, their God. Back down, only this time, his head's been cut off and both arms are cut off. He's, laying, he's, he's, he's just laying there like a, a stump, all right? And now they're freaking out because, listen, God's not real happy with the way the Philistines are dishonoring him. Can I just tell you guys something? The reason I'm so excited right now is I can't think of a time in recent history when we have more dishonored the Lord as a nation in terms of what we're promoting, in terms of just blatant disregard for the presence of God, for the holiness of God. And here's why I'm excited about that. It's not because I'm a pessimist. It's because I know God. And God does not allow his glory to be trampled, and he does not allow his reputation to be besmirched, and he does not allow his presence to be treated as something natural or something unimportant. God always flexes his righteous right arm, and that's why he awakens the church, and basically he brings judgment on people that are wicked and against him, and part of that is to lead them to repentance, not because he's trying to destroy people, but he's trying to save people. But how many of you know there is absolute chaos going on in our nation right now? absolute chaos we went out to the grocery store the other day to get last night to get some meat the whole meat department was there's like few packages here and there it's like a third world country listen this is not because we got supply chains or we got this there's all natural explanations for it but can i tell you the greater explanation for it we are a nation that does not honor and value the presence of god almighty that's why we're having the message that we're having And so here's what happens. Not only is their God humbled, but God sends judgment on the people, and they were stricken with tumors. One one translation says hemorrhoids. (laughs) They're like, we're in trouble. Ouch. They can't sit. They can't move. They got this tumor thing going on, this bad case, really bad case of God sent hemorrhoids. Now, if any of you are struggling with that this morning, I'm not saying that's the judgment of God. We can pray for you. We can pray for you. But how many of you know this was a bad situation? And they said, they basically said to their leaders, please get God out of town. Get rid of the ark. This is 1 Samuel chapter 5. They said, send the ark to Gath. That was a Philistine city. Look what happened in 1 Samuel 5, 9. When the ark arrived at Gath, the Lord's heavy hand fell on its men, young and old. He struck them with a plague of tumors. And there was great panic. So the people are freaking out. They get a bad case of the tumors again. And they're like, get God out of here. Send God to Crown Point. And so look what happens. Look what happens. 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 10. Send the ark to Ekron. In other words, get God out of our town. Please send him to some other town. So they sent the ark of God to the town of Ekron. But when the people of Ekron saw it coming, they cried out, no, they're bringing the ark of God to Israel, of, of Israel here to kill us too. Oh no, get God out of here. I mean, you know, God is, is a one-man army. He's a one-man wrecking crew right now. They can't get rid of him fast enough. And every time he shows up, he brings judgment with them on this wicked Philistine nation. So then the Philistines put the ark on a new cart. Everybody say new cart. 
And they put some golden gifts. They had little golden rats and little golden tumors or hemorrhoids. I can't imagine. <laughs> Please receive these offerings, Almighty God. You know, as if God was impressed with rats and tumors. All right. And it says, when the ark arrived at Beth Shemesh, once again the people violated the commandment of the Lord. In other words, they didn't honor the protocol of heaven by opening the lid of the ark and God's judgment fell and killed thousands of people. How many of God had already spoken about this? God, the people should not have been ignorant about how to handle God. Now, what I've been teaching you is we cannot be ignorant about the proper protocol about inviting and caring and living in the presence of God. I share with you, if you choose to walk in depression and gloom and murmur and complain, you literally quench the Holy Spirit, you drive him out of your life. If, if the church lives in murmuring and disunity and gossip, we, we create a toxic environment where God does not show up. When there's unity and joy and people are united and we're loving the Lord and we care about his presence and we're singing songs of joy to the Lord, guess what? God is attracted to those kinds of people. So here's what I'm saying. Do you want to carry the ark of God? Do you want the Holy Spirit inside of you, abiding in you, moving through you, blessing other people? If you do, you have to honor God. You have to obey his commandments. You have to have a relationship with him. And can I ask you all this question again? What greater responsibility is there than to be carriers of the presence of God? What greater challenge is there than learning how to master that art? I can't think of one that's greater than that. So take a look at what happens next. They get rid of the ark, and it tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, so the men of Kiriath-Jerim came to get the ark of the Lord. They took it to the hillside home of Abinadab, and they ordained Eleazar, his son, to be in charge of the ark. The ark remained there for a long time, notice this, 20 years, and during that time all of Israel mourned because it seemed that the Lord had abandoned them. Can I just tell you something? When God's presence is absent for a long time from your life, it's really, a, it's really an indicator of how much you love him and how much you value his presence. Because if you don't, I've heard people say, well, God never speaks to me. I never sense God's presence. So are you saying that because it's a problem to you? Or are you saying that because it's not happening and you really don't care? Are you sharing that as a prayer re request because you want to change and because his presence is desperate for you to experience? Or are you sharing that as if kind of a theological justification for why it must not happen today because God doesn't speak to me? Does this make sense? 20 years, God's manifest presence was gone from his people. And the people rightly said, uh, it seems like the Lord has abandoned us. The question is, does that disturb anybody? Does, uh, how many of you watch on social media, like public muggings, people cars, getting their cars stolen in broad daylight? Our inner cities are starting to get crazy again with violence. Our economy, crazy. Everything right now, crazy. And we should ask the question, do we like this? And how do we get back to where the blessing of God is being poured out upon our nation? Have we missed the fact that there's no unity and no, and no sense of the presence of God publicly in America. In many places in the church, God's been gone for 20 years. Nobody seems to miss him. We just keep going on with business as usual. The question God's asking is, does anybody miss me yet? 
And if we do, what are we doing intentionally to make sure we are housing the presence of God? Now, I made the comment, fathers, you're responsible for hosting the presence of the Holy Spirit in your household. So if your household is full of chaos, and my household at one point was full of chaos, though I got mad at my kids, and I got mad at my wife. That's what men usually do. We find somebody to blame. Go all the way back to Genesis. That's where you find the precedent. Men are good at blaming other people. When God, when who's responsible for your home? If you're a man, raise your hand and say, I am, all right? Now, that's not popular in the world, and you'll get grieved for that, but, but guess what? That's what God says. And I'm going to stand before God one day, and I'm going to give an account for how I treated his daughter and for how I raised my children. So listen to this. I can't, I can't say, well, if I didn't have these eight kids, my house would be full of peace. There's probably a little bit of truth to that. But I had a situation where I was all upset, and I was going to give my kids a nice godly speech about how they're the problem. And the Holy Spirit jerked my chain as clear as can be. He said, you're the problem. Because listen, the buck always stops with the leader. Most men don't want to lead. We want to pass the baton. We want to blame somebody else. We want to blame our wife. We want to blame our kids. Blame the neighbor. God, here's it. God holds me responsible for my house. And I'm going to stand before him someday and give an account for me and my house. That's why Joshua said, for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. So I have to love my wife, and I have to create an atmosphere in my house where the Holy Spirit comes and where he abides and where there's blessing. And dads, listen to me. It's a big responsibility. It's a serious responsibility. It's your responsibility. And how many of you know we need God's help? So I'm not beating up any men today because you know what? It's an impossible responsibility apart from the presence of the Lord. But I had to realize my impatience, my anger, my, my frustration, all that stuff that comes out of me, I can't blame anybody for that. That's me. And when I, when I manifest all of that, I open the door and I invite every demonic kind of spirit into my house to wreak hell on my household. And you know what? i got to take responsibility for it. So take a look. Under the reign of Saul, never once do you find Saul asking where the Ark of the Covenant is or figuring out how to bring God's presence back to Israel because Saul could care less about the presence of the Lord. That's why when you compare the reign of Saul and the reign of David, they're like night and day. David, one of the first things he's thinking is this. How can we bring the presence of God back to the center of our nation? He even made a special tent. He sent out 30,000 of his top troops, worshipers. He's going to bring God back to Israel because he cares, because he knows about the blessing of God, because he's ministered to the Lord. He's out in the field with the sheep. He's got a hunger for the presence of God. He's going to bring God back. But the problem is God's been gone for so long, he forgot about how to host the Lord properly. How did David bring the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant back? On an oxen cart. God said this is, he was not to be on an oxen cart dishonoring. He was to be carried on the shoulders of priests. Husbands, please listen to me. You're the priest of your home. 
God is not to be put on an oxen cart and have all the guys following along to make sure God doesn't fall off the cart. God's design was to be carried on the shoulders of men who are consecrated to him. David missed that little piece. And what happened next insulted David. It offended his mind because when the oxen stumbled, two of the sons that were Aminadab's sons who had been with the Ark of the Covenant for 20 years still didn't know how to have the proper protocol. And they reached out and touched the Ark. Uzzah did, and you know what happened. Instantly, boom, he's dead. Imagine during worship, our band's up there doing a great job, David and Chris leading us. Woo! And all of a sudden, one of us does something terribly offensive to God, and we fall dead right here, right in the front. I mean, that would put a damper on the worship service. <laughs> That's exactly what happened to David. David looked at his dead friend, and he was angry at the Lord and afraid at the same time. Have any of you ha ever had your mind offended by something God did or didn't do that you thought he was going to do or something like that? And then you're like, you know, Lord, I was trying my best. What's going on? But how many of you know David, because he's a God seeker, he went back and found in the law where he had totally blown it and took responsibility for what had happened. But I want you to see what happened before that. David basically turns to his buddy, Obed-Edom, and he says, um, I'm bringing God to your house. Now, I'm, I'm, I want all the men in this place to pretend like you're Obed-Edom. And you, you already know the reputation that God has created for himself with the Philistines. Remember the tumors? All that problem, dead people lifting up the ark, all those people dying. David's friend touched the ark, he's dead. And now David says, we're bringing God to your house. How many of you are excited about that? How many of you are thinking just a little bit like, whoa. How many of you know this is an amazing opportunity, but this is nothing to be treated lightly? Like if I asked you, hey, the ark of the covenant's coming to your house. And we were Old Testament believers. Who got to see the ark of the covenant under the glory of the Lord. It was in the Holy of Holies. And who got to go in there? One person, the high priest. And how often? Once a year. And now the king is telling you, I want you to house God in your house. How many of you know this is a great blessing and a great responsibility all at the same time? You're giddy with joy and you're scared to death all at the same time. And can I just ask you something? Isn't that what Holy Spirit-led worship should be like? A sense of awe and a sense of joy. Awe, joy, awe, joy. The mystery, the majesty, the awesomeness of the presence of God. And yet the privilege that comes with it. So instead of freaking out, because this is what we learn about Obed-Edom, he was a Levite. He was familiar with the temple and he was familiar with the worship and he was familiar with the, listen, the protocol of the presence. So because of that, he took it on as a blessing. And he took God, obviously I'm speaking here halfway tongue in cheek, but he took God into his house and viewed it as the opportunity of a lifetime. Now take a look at what happened. I'm going to close here. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 11. It says, The ark of the Lord remained there at Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. How many of you know where the presence of the Lord is, that's where the blessing of the Lord is? Amen. 
So this is what I told you. Like, how many of you think the church should be leading lost people to the droves, by, I mean, by the thousands, all right, in America, leading lost people to the Lord? But if you focus your service on lost people and not the presence, you might get lost people, but you won't get, get the Lord. But when you minister to the Lord, like I've heard people say this, well, if I bring my guests to church, you know, I hope David doesn't do that radical song, because that radical, that might be, that radical song might be too much for people, and I hope David doesn't get too excited up there, I hope that lady in the front doesn't start doing her little dance, and you know, you know how that goes. And everybody's got their stuff that they're hoping doesn't happen. How about if we just did this? Holy Spirit, we just want you to show up. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, people start weeping. The, ho- the words of the song start penetrating their hearts. People start realizing, I'm far from God, and I need the Lord. People start realizing the way I'm living right now isn't pleasing to the Lord, and, I'm, and if I were to die right now, would I, would I go to heaven? Would I, how could I stand before the Lord? People start to care about things that God cares about. Why? Because the presence is here. Can I just tell you something? I don't stay up at night worrying about whether or not we're going to have this building built in spite of all the crazy economic stuff. Listen to me. This is what I do know. Where the presence of the Lord there, the provision of the Lord shows up, the blessing of the Lord shows up, the supernatural presence of God is among his people. Nothing is impossible. In fact, here's what I want you to think about. How in the world could somebody say, oh, wow, Eat Obed Edom's house. I know where he's at. He lives right down the street. That dude is getting blessed. I heard God's at his house. How could they say that if there was not a visible manifestation of the blessing of God on his household? Say, well, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, what I'm talking about is everything he touches gets blessed. In fact, listen to this. How many of you know the the Old Testament or the uh, old Jewish historian Josephus? Some of you have the works of Josephus in your library at home. He was a Jewish historian. This is what he said. Whereas before Obed-Edom was poor, on a sudden, in three months, his estate, meaning his stuff, increased even to the envy of his neighbors. Pastor, are you preaching the prosperity gospel? Yes. But let me explain what I'm preaching. I'm saying that when the presence of God is on a man's life, everything in his household gets blessed. His children are blessed. His marriage is blessed. His business is blessed. What he sets his hand to do is blessed. He has provision from God. God is with him all the time. Everything he does is blessed by the Lord because the presence of God is in his life and in his ministry. Now listen to me. That's the old covenant. You say, well, pastor, we should not be focused on material things. I am not being focused on material things. I'm saying that when you carry the presence of God, every aspect of your life is blessed. Your marriage is blessed. Your relationship with your children is blessed. Your friends are blessed. Your church is blessed. And what you do 40 hours a week is blessed too because you bring the presence of God with you everywhere you go. That's the glory of the Lord. His, let me tell you when you know you're blessed. Your neighbors are going, what are you guys drinking? 
How are you, what's happening? How, you got a new dog? How'd you, how'd you get that dog? You got, what's that car doing? Look at the way that guy loves his wife. Oh my gosh, we can hardly look in the backyard. He's smooching on her all the time. All of those things are signs of the blessing of God. It's not just material, but quit being super spiritual and pretending like material things don't matter. How many of you think you should be a conduit of blessing to other people? Like the poor, the needy, the orphan, the widow, that our government should not be trying to do this. This is the role of the church. We should be able to go to nations of the world and bless people and help people and uplift people. You can't do any of this apart from the presence of God in your life. And God will move heaven and earth to bless his vision. In fact, I want you to see this. What was one of the blessings on Obed-Edom's life? Well, 1 Chronicles 26, verses 4 through 6. The sons of Obed-Edom says also were gatekeepers in the temple. And then they start listing their names. Eight of them. Eight sons. Notice he, he names his children in God's honor. Uh, Jehazabad means the Lord has given. Issachar means reward. On and on and on. All of his sons have names, and all those names mean something. But here's what I want you to see. Look at verse 6. Obed-Edom's son Shemaiah had sons with great ability who earned positions of great authority in the clan. Down to verse 8. All of these descendants of Obed-Edom, including their sons and grandsons, 62 of them in all, were very capable men. That, that word capable means strong, valiant. It's also used to mean wealth, and it also means an army. His sons were strong, valiant, wealthy, and an army, well qualified for their work. How many of you know part of our legacy is to leave a multi-generational blessing that comes from the presence of God? One of the areas right now that's under attack is, is the, the home in America. Can I get an amen on that? And we should be fighting for healthy marriages and fighting for healthy kids and believing that that's part of our inheritance. Like, I don't question, I have eight children, I don't question whether my children are going to serve the Lord. We've prophesied over them, that's what we've told them, that's your destiny, that's why you're here. We've we tell them we are a first fruits family. We are a family dedicated to the glory of God. We are a priestly family. We're a family that carries the presence. Uh, that's who we are, that's our identity. That, that's, it doesn't mean we're perfect, it just means that's our identity. Looking over here at Greg and Hannah with beautiful daughters. Uh, when you have your children, you're not they're like, oh my gosh, I hope, I hope the devil doesn't get this little one. I hope, you know, all the fears that people have. No, that's an arrow in your hand. She's a champion. She's a warrior. She's a winner. She's got the anointing of God. She's got a godly father, a godly mother, a man who loves his wife, a man who's a leader in his home. And, and, and that's part of our inheritance, that our kids would be raised up and be people of influence. People of influence, every one of them strong. I can't tell you how touched I was when I'm looking on social media and I'm seeing uh, on this family trip, mothers and fathers with their children, all laying hands on people, praying over people, hugging people, ministry. That's what changes your family is being on mission together, doing the stuff together, experiencing the presence of God together, loving people together. This is what we were made for. And Obed-Edom had 62 just sons, it doesn't mention his daughter, just the sons, 62 of them, capable, valiant, anointed men of God. How many of you know that's called blessing? Multiple generational blessing. Let me end with this. This is my third ending, I promise. This is the, 
It's the final one. Men, I want to speak to dads. How many of you want to take the ark into your house? I, I do. I want the ark in my house. What's inside the ark? Three important things I want to challenge you with. First thing is the tablets of covenant. How many of you know every time God speaks, it's a gift to us? His words are life. We need to eat them, hear them, listen to them. We don't want to be ignorant by doing things that offend God. So we want to read the word. And listen, this is the message to every man that wants to host the presence of God in your house. You are a man of covenant. You've made a covenant with the Lord. This is what we teach in marriage. This is why marriage is different than cohabitation. Totally different. It's why marriage works. When I say I do and my wife says I do and we make covenant, that covenant, when it's formed, releases the supernatural presence and power and grace of God to bless our union. In other words, I have supernatural help to be married when I invite God into the covenant. Men, leading your families is not easy. Being like Jesus in our home is not easy. Am I speaking to the right cry? Having the wisdom to raise children, it's not easy, but you're not alone. We are in covenant with the creator of the universe. And in that ark over which God's presence would dwell was tablets that remind me I'm never alone. I have his word and I have his presence everywhere I go. I pray for his wisdom. I pray to ask him to change my heart so I can love the way he wants me to love. I repent as much as I can when he shows me of how I've raised or not raised my kids. But God doesn't beat us down. He always lifts us up and he always helps us. And and if we just ask him, he gives us what we need because we're in covenant with him. There's also a little pot of manna that God said, fill up this pot with manna and keep it as a lasting memorial. A memorial of what? Of God's supernatural provision to be all that you need all the days of your life so that you would not lack or suffer lack, that you would have everything you need, both spiritually, materially, emotionally, in every way, you would have everything that you need because it's a reminder, God cooks breakfast for his people every morning for 40 years straight. That's your God. Men are like, man, I don't know if I want to have kids. I don't want to pay for all these kids. Things are so expensive. Stop it. There's a pot of manna in your house, in the ark, to remind you that your job is to receive the gifts from God. His job is to pay for them. And when his presence is there, he pays for them. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor we've had a need and one of you gets spoken to by the Lord, and I get some random card or whatever, and in that card is a love gift that was just what we needed. I can't tell you how many times that happened. And listen to me. Every time that happens, I pull my kids together, and I say, listen to what the Lord has done. This is the covenant that we have with God. This is his goodness, and this is his kindness, and I rehearse the testimony because I want my kids to get in on the miraculous encounter of God for their generation. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. But every time the devil wants to tell you you're not enough, and you're not going to provide, and you're, not, you're going to have lack, and you're not going to pay your bills, go before the ark and worship the Lord and look at the manna. 
because the manna is a reminder that God fed millions of his kids in the screaming desert heat for 40 years. Their clothes did not wear out. And they had a a God-prepared meal every day until they went into the promised land. Third thing, this is important, was Aaron's rod that budded. Why was Aaron's rod that budded? Well, go back to to that story. There was mutiny in the camp. Everybody was saying, why we got to follow Moses? We hear from God too. Why is Moses so special? Why not the rest of us? We're special. Why is he the leader? How come I'm not the leader? There was a problem questioning authority. And so what did the Lord tell him to do? He said, oh, you bring your walking sticks. That dry, dead stick that was used for walking in the desert. Oh, write your name on it and lay it before the Ark of the Covenant. And let's see what happens. Come in the next day. Stick number one, dead. Stick number two, dead. All the way up, stick number 11, dead. Aaron's rod It had budded, blossomed, and had whole almonds hanging off of it. A day before, this was a dead stick. This is a picture of God-designated authority and resurrection life. I've heard men, you know, sit in counseling situations, and they say stuff like this. You know, I'm not the leader in my house. Nobody listens to me. My wife doesn't listen to me. Wah, 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 not... And I just want to say, shut up. Sometimes I do. Shut up. God says, you're the leader. God says, you're the point person. God says he's designated you as the leader of your home. Act like it. Act like it. Well, they don't listen to me. Love like Jesus. Serve like Jesus. Carry the presence. Love your family. Pull them together. Watch how your authority will rise. And secondly, this is supernatural, which is why all authority is God delegated. God has to back you. Can I just tell you something? This is why we don't, get, we don't choose the ministry as a job. There are people that do. They're called hirelings, all right? This is not a job. This is a calling. It's different. What you're doing, what you've been called to do is just as holy. It's God's assignment for your life. How many of you know if you're under God and you're under his presence, that's when you move in the full authority of what God's called you to do? Listen, living stones is unstoppable as long as God is in our midst. I mean, it's unstoppable. It's the kingdom of God. It's ever increasing. All the nations of the world, wherever people learn to host the presence of God, they become unstoppable. When resurrection power is flowing in a place, the presence of God, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. What is impossible for us? Nothing is impossible for us. That's why we talked about rattle. We sing this song. Come on, I can hardly stay in my skin because we're singing truths that are absolutely pertinent to my life. I'm talking about taking off the grave clothes and stepping out of the grave. I want to be more alive and more full of the Holy Spirit than I've ever been in my life. And the cool thing is I get to pursue his presence for the rest of my days. That is so awesome. 
I, I, I wish we could actually like, have the moving company come up with the guys carrying, carrying the presence on their shoulder, the ark. Uh, Mr. Johnson, uh, you asked for the presence of God to live in your house. Yes, I did. Come on right in. Roll out the red carpeting. God's coming into our house. Now, you all know how you'd be acting the same way when somebody important comes over and you're faking them out. You could have been fighting right before. God, so glad you're here. See, people do this with God all the time, but if you knew God, his presence, the real God, the fiery God, the burning bush God, the God who's a one-man army God, that God is coming into your house. What would you do? I'd probably be laying on the ground as he came in. Welcome, Lord. Welcome into my house. But how many know you would just carry yourself differently? Hey, we don't talk that way. Honey, forgive me. Forgive me for the way I raised my voice. I don't want to disturb the presence of the Lord. Holy ground. Here's what I'm asking you guys to do today, or inviting you to do. How many of you would like to say, you know what? I just want to learn the art of hosting the ark in my house. I want the blessing of God on my house. I want the blessing of God on my marriage. I want the blessing of God on my children. I want the blessing of God on every aspect of my life so that the neighbors recognize the glory of God, the presence of God on that house, your house, my house, and then how about this house? That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. So I want the fathers to stand up. If you're a father in the house, we want to bless you today, pray for you today. Hey, I just got to tell you, what a, what a picture of strong, valiant, courageous, beautiful manhood in a culture that no longer really values men. Biblical men, strong men, lovers of Jesus kind of men. You all know what I'm talking about. Nate, I saw a great picture of you hugging somebody, your hand on their head, just weeping, loving on. Made me cry. David, seeing all you guys, loving the least of these. Beautiful picture of godly manhood. If you want more, join me, and let's just lift our hands to the Lord. Father, on this Father's Day, we honor the greatest Father of all, God Almighty, Abba Father. Thank you for loving us so well. I thank you, every man in this room, Lord. We're all on a journey. Sometimes we're cleaning up messes. Sometimes we're, we're doing great things. Sometimes we're in the middle. It's, it's always a challenge, but Lord, thank you that you forgive us, you equip us, you never let go of us. And your desire is to bless us with more of you. So, Lord, right now we're standing. We're just lifting our hands in agreement. And, Lord, we're just saying, fill me. I want to host you, Holy Spirit. I want you in our house. I want you in the midst of where we live and, and, and sleep and eat and play. Everything that we do as men of God, fill our homes, Lord, with your presence. And Lord, I speak to every man in this place. You've been commissioned by God Almighty. You've been anointed for this assignment. You have what it takes with the Lord. May he overwhelm you with his presence. May he fill you with joy. May your fears about provision and your family, may they run out the door right now in the name of Jesus. May you leave here with confidence. May you know that God is for you. Who can be against you? May you know that his presence is going to go ahead of you to fight your battles. 
May you move in the supernatural wisdom of God all the days of your life. May you have incredible connections with your children. May, may God even begin redeeming some relationships that have been strained. And Lord, I pray for marriages here that you would unite husbands to their heart of their wives. And Lord, that you would shape us, all of us, to be more like Jesus in the leadership of our home. We love you, Holy Spirit. We honor you, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Teach us the proper protocol of heaven so that you never are grieved, that you never leave, that you're never quenched, that you live and move and have your being in the midst of us. We honor you on this Father's Day and pray that you'd help us to magnify the greatness of our daddy to everybody that we see. May the tangible blessing of God be on every home that's standing right now. May the tangible blessing of God Mark you and mark your home and mark your ministry and your leadership in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Come on, give these dads a hand. Appreciate you guys.